Episode 38, Recommending an Interview with Dr. John Walton at BibleProject.org. Rethinking the Bible with Jack Pelham. Welcome to Rethinking the Bible. This is an audio podcast where we apply reality-based thinking to interpreting the Bible. Reality-based thinking is my name for a philosophy that seeks to make constant use of honesty, rationality, and responsibility in seeking out the reality of things while trying to avoid common errors. And for the record, I define reality as the state of things as they actually exist, as opposed to one's perceptions, beliefs, or wishes about them. And you should know, this is a serial podcast, so it's best if you start from episode one and work your way forward from there, because we lay some foundational principles up front, and you'll be lost later if you skip them now. Well, this will be a short episode today. I was uh, on my walk this morning and listening to The Bible Project, which I do frequently. They have a uh, free podcast uh, concerning uh, Bible things. And uh, I listened to that, and I listened to um, uh, Dr. Heiser's uh, podcast, The Naked Bible, and uh, a few others here and there. And uh, today's uh, episode was particularly good. And I thought, uh, after listening uh, for through the whole thing, I thought, boy, I really wish my listeners could listen to this particular uh, discussion because it's a very good one between uh, three uh, Bible scholar kind of guys who are constantly working the puzzle and trying to understand the Bible, uh, particularly from the context of those who wrote it and the culture that produced it, uh, as opposed to from the context of the 21st century American uh, person today. So uh, I am going to recommend that to you. I've provided a link in the show notes to that, and I'll tell you all about that in a couple of minutes. Um, however, having turned the mic on, it's hard to say only that and, and, and to leave it at that for, for an episode. So I did want to say a couple of other things that are actually related to this. Uh, what you're going to hear if you go over there, like I wish you would, is an interview about, uh, particularly about Genesis 1 and how it might be interpreted and what it might mean. And um, Dr. John Walton, in particular, who is the one being interviewed by uh, Tim Mackey and John Collins of the Bible Project. Uh, Dr. Walton has um, sort of staked his claim in a scholarly way the last 20 years or so regarding the idea that Genesis 1 is not what most people think it is. It's not what tradition says it is. It's not the story of how God invented the universe, which is, I'm pretty sure, the way that most people today take it. And they think, oh yeah, uh, that's it. Let's see, you got to have, you know, the heavens and you got to have the earth. And well, there's also a moon and a bunch of stars in there and comets and so forth. And well, (laughs) but anyway, they still want to take it as... uh, this is God creating the cosmos, the meaning the universe, meaning the stuff that Hubble Space Telescope sees when it looks around. Uh, and that's how they want to take it. 
and uh, never mind the rest. That's just what it is. And so uh, Dr. Walton started looking at this some years ago and came up with a different view of it. And I think he's uh, somewhat barking up the right tree. I've listened to a lot of his uh, work before online, particularly on YouTube and such. And I have uh, thought there was something to a lot of what he's saying. And mostly his point has been, um, to put it in a nutshell, that the Genesis 1 account is not the telling of the story of, hey, once upon a time there were not um, any planets, and now there are. And once upon a time there were not any photons, but now there are, and and all that. Uh, he's saying rather, no, this is God setting a new uh, order of things. And so it's a different way to look at Genesis 1. And I think that is in view to find other ways than just the traditional view, because the traditional view does have some issues uh, that are difficult to explain. And, hey, maybe we just haven't got it right. Maybe we need to keep working the puzzle, keep looking at it. And so what I thought I would do today is just take a few minutes to talk about one particular problem of the sort that would be on the upcoming rationality quotient test that would measure people's rationality thinking skills. And uh, this one problem is one of the ones that I missed when I first started reading cognitive science mm, 10 years ago or so. And uh, it was uh, very troubling that I missed it. And I believe I gave it to Kay and to James, and they both missed it too. And so I thought I would give you this problem today because it has so much to do with Bible study. And it's... um, its lesson is one that we can use very well for Bible study. So I'm going to uh, just read you this problem, and this is um, it's called the Jack Ann and George problem. It's by Hector Levesque, and uh, I'm just going to read it to you now. I'll read it a couple of times in a row, and it's a multiple choice. It has an A, B, and C answer. So uh, if you can get yourself where you're ready to hear this thing, I will read it twice in a row. You can pause, of course. And I really hope you can uh, pause and answer it before you go on and hear the conversation about it, just so that you can know uh, whether you got it right or not. So here it is, the Jack Ann and George problem. Uh, And and I I will tell you this, it's about three people. Uh, There's no trick in the problem. It's not like, you know, it's really about a dog or something. You know, it's just about three normal people. There's no trick here. So, So here's the problem. Uh, Jack is looking at Anne, but Anne is looking at George. Jack is married, but George is not. Is a married person looking at an unmarried person? Yes, no, or cannot be determined. So there you've heard it once. Uh, Let me ask it one more time. Jack is looking at Anne, but Anne is looking at George. Jack is married, but George is not. Is a married person looking at an unmarried person? Yes, no, or cannot be determined. So I will, um, if you want to pause and think about that, now would be the time to do it because I'm going to start talking about it. (laughs) Okay, so in this problem, um, as it turns out, about 80% of people get this wrong. And uh, the answer that is most frequently chosen is C, cannot be determined. 
So, uh, and that is actually the wrong answer. It can be determined. And so this, this is super interesting to me. Let, let's just talk through the problem first. Okay, so you have three people. One's named Jack. One is, uh, and that's just a coincidence. That's my name too. Uh, and then there's one named Anne and one named George. Uh, Jack is married. George is not. And so Jack's looking at Anne, uh, but Anne is looking at George. So the question is, is a married person looking at an unmarried person? And um, obviously when people get to uh, the yes and no, well, those require further thinking like, oh, is this is yes really the right answer? Maybe, maybe no is the right answer. I don't know. So, uh, but answer C cannot be determined is awfully attractive to some people who are in the heat of cognitive battle and don't want to keep, uh, keep working the puzzle. Right. And so a lot of people might choose C just because I really wish you hadn't asked me this. Let's go with C can't be determined. I'll hope I'm right. Uh, now of course you don't get post, uh, survey, uh, surveys from people to find out why they answered as they did. But uh, again, about 80% of people get this wrong. As it turns out, you can determine. And so uh, here's how you would do it. And I'll tell you right now, uh, the, key, the key to this is very simple. Although you might get a little lost in the details as we actually work through it. Okay, the key to answering this question is you have to consider all the possibilities. And in this case, this is a beautiful problem because there are really only two. Okay, so the question is, uh, one question is whether Anne is married or not. Because Jack is looking at Anne. Well, if, and the question that you're asked is, is a married person looking at an unmarried person? Well, if Anne is unmarried, then yeah, you'd have Jack looking at an unmarried person. But you don't know about Anne's state. And that is a problem also for the second half of the problem. Because Anne is looking at George, and you know George is not married. So you don't do you need to know Anne's marital status there to know if Anne is uh if is if Anne is a married person looking at an unmarried person? Well, yeah, you do. And again, you're not told, right? So it's very easy for somebody to say, ah, we're not told. Aha. Uh-huh. Then the right answer is cannot be determined. And so they settle on number C, but it's actually not true. So now let me demonstrate it. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many possible marital states does Anne have? She is either married or she is unmarried. The question doesn't concern itself with whether she might be divorced or engaged. No, we're just talking, is she either married or she's not married? So rather than just say, well, gee, we don't know. What you do here is you consider all the possibilities. So let us assume uh, for the exercise uh, in case one that Anne is married. So Jack is looking at Anne and we know Anne is married. And we also know because we're told that Jack is married. So is that a married person looking at an unmarried person? No, it's a married person looking at a married person. However, we're told further that Anne is looking at George and we know that George himself is unmarried. So that would be a married person looking at an unmarried person. So in that case where Anne is married, then our answer would be yes. 
And so you have to hold your finger there. You want to write that down or something. But uh, if Anna's married, then the answer to the whole problem is, yes, a married person is looking at an unmarried person. But now let us suppose the other possibility that Anne is not married. Well, in that case, we have the not married Anne looking at not married George. That doesn't qualify. But uh, married Jack is looking at unmarried Anne. And so in that case, we would have a married person looking at an unmarried person. And so out of the two possible states for Anne, we see that either one would satisfy the question and that, yes, there would be a married person looking at an unmarried person. So uh, I love this problem. Uh, I missed it. I got it wrong. I fell into the trap. I said uh, C cannot be determined. So did K. So did James. And so do about 80% of people. And so this is a case where our culture is not very good at uh, rational thinking. We, uh, and in this particular case, uh, the problem seems to be that we didn't roll up our sleeves and say, okay, let's think it through. What are all the possibilities? Now, again, I said this is a beautiful question because <laughs> suppose that, uh, uh, suppose the question were about uh, skin colors. Well, there's more than just two possible skin colors, right? Or suppose the question were about uh, what, uh, what decade of life is each person in? And is a person in their 30s looking at a person in their 70s? Right? That obviously gets a lot more complicated because there's multiple choices, more than just the two choices of married and unmarried. So in this case, it's a particularly nice and clean problem. And even so, uh, even though there's only two possibilities to be considered, that makes for light work. But the cognitive miser in us says, oh, no, that we don't even think to go there. And so what does this have to do with the Bible and, and with Bible interpretation and with our Bible study? Well, I think it has a ton to do with it uh, because we, people are so quick when faced with some Bible question or a problem or a puzzle to be figured out, they're so quick just to wave their hands. Oh, uh, you know, we will just won't figure that out. Well, how do you know that you won't figure it out? Did God tell you that you won't figure it out? This is impossible. You're wasting your time. It's beyond you. Well, how do you know that? I had a friend tell me that some years ago that I was, um, that certain things were beyond my finding out and that I was wasting my time. Well, that's funny because since then I found out a bunch of things. And at the same time, I have uh, found other things where I think that I am unlikely to find out much more. Uh, for example, uh, a lot of people quite enjoy investing heavily in the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. The idea of the Godhead, that God is three persons in one, that, that they're somehow the same yet different and co-equal, but maybe not exactly. And uh, all this, and it's very tricky. And you can find uh, tons, many, many volumes on this uh, where they get into the minutiae of the whole thing and uh, sometimes argue quite vehemently about it. And it's even become a test of fellowship in some circles from time to time. Uh, what are your exact beliefs? Well, get out of here, you heretic. We hate you, you know, this sort of thing. So 
Um, but my view of that is, gee, um, boy, I am not, uh, I don't live in that spirit world. I don't see God face to face. I don't know Jesus face to face like somebody who's with him every day would. I don't know the Holy Spirit in that way. And boy, that's just really sort of out of my element. And so I don't expect to understand much about that. Uh, and until I am there myself to see, I, I'm not sure how I could. And yet it seems that so many people will invest a great deal of time into all this and trying to get all the particulars just right and understand everything about it. So I do tend to hand wave that, that uh, topic somewhat when it comes up because I am not convinced it's much worth my time to dig into it. Uh, and it's not like I can't understand what the Bible is telling me is right and wrong or good and bad. Oh, gee, if only I understood the exact relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit, then I could know uh, what to make of Jesus's command, uh, don't judge by mere appearances. You see, I really don't need to know exactly the relationship between him and the Holy Spirit in order to understand what he meant. And so I don't particularly find it very fruitful and I don't find it very promising either. And I will, no matter what I come to understand in this age, I will certainly understand better in the next world. Uh, if, if I discover that it does indeed exist, like I believe it does. So, uh, that's an example of some things that may not be worth the hunt. Uh, other things may well be worth the hunt. Now, I'm frequently troubled. I think I've mentioned this before by uh, Michael Heiser, uh, who, from whom I've learned a great deal. Uh, and I'm very thankful for his work. And however, I don't think he's without his biases. And he frequently talks about eschatology, about end times. And he, he says, I believe his quote is, uh, an obsession with eschatology is a waste of time. Well, of course, that's a little bit, um, if you're going to call it an obsession, well, yeah, okay, maybe an obsession with anything is a waste of time, I'm not sure. Uh, but I think he's wrong about this. I think there are things about eschatology that we can figure out, uh, even if we can't figure it all out. And so it's worth our time. Uh, plus, I think there is a make-believe world in which we can pretend, okay, I'm not into eschatology. I don't care about the end times. It doesn't matter anyway. It'll show itself eventually. We'll see it. We don't have to figure out what time it is. And some of that sounds kind of good. It sounds like a way, of course, for some, it could be an escape, right? Well, that's heavy work. That's a lot of mental work, figuring all that out. I don't want to do that. Therefore, I'll just say, well, that's unspiritual <laughs> or um, you know, I don't want to deal with that. I got better things to do. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. But in the real world, a lot of your regular church doctrine type of stuff is tied up in what time it is. Uh, for example, when we talked about baptism briefly, uh, a few episodes back, I said that, um, you know, some people would be in the position that, uh, Jesus had, come back already and that baptism was now obsolete. And so like, oh, okay, well, if it depends, 
you know, some things depend on other things, right? So if you, if your other position about what time it is, is that you're a preterist, well, okay, then certain of these things would be obsolete. That would make a lot of sense. And so now it comes down to, well, are you right or wrong with your eschatology? And so that's just one example of many uh, about uh, how these things are interrelated. And you, and it may, <laughs> you can't make it as simple as you want without just cheating. Oh, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. So a lot of it does matter. And so I don't think it's a waste of time to dig into that. However, I do not think that, um, that we should necessarily expect to be able to figure everything out. And uh, the reason I wanted to talk about this today is because I know I promised you uh, some more baptism episodes, and I certainly will get to those. However, as I was preparing, I did the John the Baptist one, and since in the weeks since then, I've realized, oh, we could go further into that and more and more and look into the Old Testament things and look more into the Elijah connection and look into hints of John's ministry in the Old Testament and so forth and all this. And sure, that would be fruitful, I'm sure. Uh, however, as I look forward into, okay, baptism into the name of Jesus and then baptism with the Holy Spirit, as I look at that, I realize, you know, I don't understand all of this. I certainly understand a lot about it. I could tell you a bunch about it. I could show you a lot of useful information uh, that if you don't have that information already, you could find it very useful. But I don't fully understand the doctrine. There's some questions I have about it, and I'll share those later. But I don't fully get it. And it's not like I'm a Bible slouch. You know, it's not like I'm one of these guys that never cracks the Bible open. I, I spend a lot of time in the Bible, and still I don't get it. And so my position may seem a little radical to people, or it might seem irresponsible. But I think on the contrary, it's quite responsible. And it is this. I'm not sure that we're going to be able to figure out all the doctrine of the New Testament ecclesia, meaning, you know, the called out ones, the, this group that Jesus assembled. I'm not sure we can figure all that out. And, uh, you know, that may seem just ridiculous or like some hopeless thing. Oh, Jack has lost his faith and lost his mind too. But I don't think we can do it. In fact, if you could look at how much disagreement there is among Christians, you got to wonder, well, what's causing that disagreement? And somebody, of course, will say, well, all the rest but my church, they are all heretics. <laughs> yeah, okay. Good answer, bro. Right? Like your church is not wrong about anything, but all the others are wrong about whatever they disagree with you about. No. That's a bad answer. That's cheating. That's pretty reckless. It's very irresponsible and it's irrational. Uh, in fact, if I were to ask you what all was wrong with your church and you told me nothing, well, then we could start a new project, couldn't we? And we could go looking through everything that you teach and believe and do. And we could certainly find issue with it. Uh, I have not yet found a church that I didn't think had some pretty noteworthy uh, issues with their, um, their traditions. So, uh, so, so where do you go with all this? I'm not sure we can figure out the doctrine, you know, uh, but I am sure that we can figure out what it means to be godly, what it means to be righteous. 
to be just and fair and honest and faithful, loyal, kind, gentle, respectful, hopeful, joyful. All of these things, these are covered very well in the Bible. I rarely see a moral question arise that cannot be handily settled with the Bible. And you may want to get into some new things. Well, what about vaping, bro? Well, okay. Um, I can certainly think of a principle or two in the Bible that should have something to do with how you approach vaping. Like, I will not be mastered by anything, where Paul says that. Are you getting addicted to your vaping? Do you have to leave meetings to go uh, have a puff or two on your thing there? Uh, well, okay, if so, that's probably not something that the apostles would have approved of for you. And of course, you have to be your own judge of that. Uh, but that's about all I've got for you. Uh, however, when it comes to drinking, oh yeah, we got several scriptures about that and drunkenness. So you see, it's not not really a stretch very much, right? And so I do think the Bible covers very well this idea of uh, what it means to live in the image of God and and what the the character of the God in whose image we are to live. I think Jesus came and spelled it out in the flesh as a human being, which is a particularly fortunate for us kind of thing. He didn't just leave it to our mind work. Here he is in real life examples, uh, walking day to day on the planet with other people. And we see how he interacts with them. So we get to see what righteous is. And so I think the Bible just knocks that out of the park. But do I think that the Bible explains everything else uh, that thoroughly? Oh, no, goodness, not at all. Uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what exactly does it do? Or what exactly did it do then in, in the times about which we read? Those questions are fantastic questions. And yet, um, I'm not sure that the Bible is going to answer those completely. Now, this, of course, creates a panic in some. I can't believe what that guy said. I mean, well, how are we supposed to know? <laughs> and so people will fill in those gaps however they do, whether uh, reasonably or irreasonably, uh, unreasonably, because that's what people do. So uh, if you ask people about Bible things, they really like, um, simple answers, this or that, yes or no, right or wrong, black or white. Uh, what's even easier though, is if you give them, it cannot be determined and they just throw up their hands and say, oh, we'll see you. It's just a mystery, bro. And that happens a lot. And I suspect with some people, it definitely happens too much. Just like the answer, uh, uh, well, gee, bro, maybe it's both. And I notice this a lot in Bible discussions. People will, uh, if you say, well, did, is this way to interpret this or is this other thing the best way to interpret this? Well, gee, bro, why not both? That's a common answer. People sort of throw that out. 
sometimes they think they're really wise when they do it. Uh, and maybe sometimes that's the right answer, but it probably gets overused. And so does the already, but not yet thing. Oh, we can't explain that. Let's just call it already, but not yet. And then uh, wipe our hands clean and we're done, right? So it's very easy to find ways to weasel out of problems. And uh, some of these answers are, are some of the favorites that people choose. So regarding Genesis 1, uh, does it work for you if you have the sun after you have plants already growing? Think back to second grade, third grade. When did you learn this? Fourth grade. Then how do plants grow? What do they need? Uh, what is it? Light and soil. Uh, of course, the minerals, nutrients that come with the soil and then water, right? Light, soil, water, uh, heat. They got to have some heat. So aren't these pretty basic things? So you're going to say, well, we've got plants growing in a universe where no sun exists yet. Well, that's your basic everyday uh, traditional view of Genesis 1 and, and the story that it's telling. And so if that's true, if that's what the author meant to convey, then you have a bit of a problem with science there, don't you? So if that's what it's telling you about, well, do we need to go take a second look and look at some other possibilities? Maybe it could be something else. Sure, you read Genesis 1 and you've already been through science class at school and you can't help but think of uh, billions and billions of galaxies and stars and all this, the Carl Sagan thing. Yeah, okay. But what if there's another possibility or two or, or 8,000 possibilities of what it could be talking about? What if? So... Uh, this interview that I'm going to recommend today uh, with John Walton, they talk about some of this, and uh, it's an extended talk that mentions several of the kinds of considerations that we've been talking about for some time on this podcast. And so I was uh, quite delighted to hear the extended conversation. It's about an hour long, and they discuss these things. Uh, and and just so you know... Uh, I don't agree with everything that I hear on the Bible Project. I am frequently critical of some of their answers. I think they oversimplify. Sometimes I think they choose things that are unlikely to be true as their conclusions. Um, do I do that same thing myself? Oh, I'm certain that I do. And I really hope to be able to discern it when I do or to uh, have somebody step in and help me quickly. Uh, hey, bro, you got that wrong. Uh, and by the way, there is not much of that help to be found where that help is itself uh, honest and rational and responsible because our culture is not like that. So I don't find very often where somebody corrects me and actually makes a good case. So people tend to be kind of uh, messy and they will correct you before they're sure that you're wrong or before they ought to be sure that you're wrong. So there's not enough of that that goes on. However, here's a lengthy discussion with three adults who are in, in the Bible business, and they, they're talking about it, and I thought it was very good. I also don't agree with everything that John Walton says, but I do think that he's barking up the right tree and has been for quite some time. And uh, I, So I'll tip my hand a bit. I have been working on Genesis 1 
for several years now. I have not published anything to speak of about it. I did have a couple of websites that got attacked in this major malware attack, and I haven't got them built yet. Uh, so perhaps I'll talk about that soon. Uh, am, is Jack a Bible scholar? Mm. That's a tough question. Do I study the Bible a lot? Sure. Do I write down my findings? Yeah, a lot of the time. Uh, am I a full-time professional at that? No. No, I'm not. So am I published? Well, I'm self-published, you know, websites and such, blog posts and so forth. But uh, so it's kind of hard to call me a Bible scholar, although that's definitely what I do. I study and I think through and I test ideas and I look for evidence and um, I try to understand the original context of the evidence I find and all that. So, um, in fact, one of the ways I'm able to advance in that beyond just the plain old American church-going guy is that I do spend time listening to scholarly uh, podcasts and such uh, where I don't have the time to read so I can listen while I work, while I drive, and so forth. So... Uh, my take on Genesis, I won't go into it much now, but I do tend to agree that John Walton is into something when he says, well, look, it's not, uh, it's not about God, uh, you know, how he invented the planet, for example. It's about the life he established on the planet, the, the form of things or the order of things that he established for here. And I think he's right about that. And I'll spell that out for you someday. But you know, I have issues with Genesis 1, like uh, how practically every Christian on the planet will say we live on Earth. And I'll show them a picture of the globe. I'll say, is that it? They're like, yep, that's it. Uh, and yet in Genesis 1.10, where God mentions the dry land and he calls the dry land Earth, well, wait, that's different from the thing we call a globe because it has not only continents, but it also has oceans on it and you know polar ice caps and things like that. So that's not the same thing, and it's clearly not the same thing, and the text comes right out and makes it very clear that it's not the same thing, and yet we don't care. We're going to keep calling it Earth anyway. Right, So every time we see Earth in the Bible, we think it means planet Earth, and we think we understand what it's talking about. But uh, this cannot be the case without much trouble to us. For example, where Paul says in Colossians, two places he hints, in verse 23 is one, and the other is, I think, verse 7-ish, uh, that the gospel has been preached to every creature under heaven, and another place that... Uh, that everybody in the world has heard the gospel. Well, uh, that's very interesting. Now, if they're just talking about the Mediterranean region, the 70 nations of, you know, the table of nations in Genesis 10 and 11, if they're just talking about that, which is what all the Bible authors seemed to be talking about, for Paul to say that they had reached everybody, every creature in the world, well, if that's what they're talking about, that makes a whole lot of sense. And yes, that's quite believable. But if in those two verses in the first chapter of the one letter, we are given these two tidbits of information that are supposed to make us believe that they went to the Americas, they went to China, they went to India, and they covered everywhere. And they went to 
Greenland and Iceland, and they got cultures everywhere uh, in their preaching in the first century. Well, that is quite a claim. And if that's what he's saying, that is exceptional. And this would be a case where you have this multi-mega miraculous kind of how in the world did you do that in one generation? You went everywhere. And it's not like Paul says, oh yeah, by the way, we have a team of 4,000 apostles to the Gentiles. You know, I've recruited all this mega team. So um, would that be impossible? Well, no, but it would be remarkable that not one letter mentions such a team of people. Or are we looking at a situation where Paul gets magical powers like Santa Claus and he can go uh, down every chimney in the world all in one day? Could God do that? Well, I, I suppose he could, but that is quite unlike anything else we read about in the Bible, isn't it? So the idea that uh, Paul and whomever, maybe Barnabas you want to include in there, he is called an apostle in one place, which raises some question marks for us for sure. So, if you want to say, well, it, it can't be that, um, uh, you know, Paul, Paul had magical powers and was able to go all these places in just a few years and get all of this done. Well, again, it would be awfully nice if somebody had told us that in the Bible, short of two verses in passing. So this would be a very difficult thing to accept. Or you could say, Look, when they're talking about the world and the creation and the heaven, they're just talking about things in the Mediterranean region of planet Earth, and that's it. And nothing else in the Bible focuses on anything else beyond that. And that's what the Bible's about, you see. So it opens up this whole world of things to consider. And um, I have done a lot of work on that. I'd be glad to share some of that uh, as we go along. But I think that uh, John Walton here is barking up The similar tree, maybe a different branch, maybe a different branch here and there. But, uh, you know, in working the puzzle, I think we've come to some parts of consideration that are similar. And so I wanted you to hear uh, his view for that same reason, because it lets you know that um, not everything that Jack thinks is unique in every way. I do have a few Bible theories that are Uh, I can't tell you they're unique to me, but I've not found where anybody else has published similar. So who knows? But anyway, uh, before I hand you over to their podcast, which will just be a link in the show notes for this, uh, I can't make this uh, recording turn into that. But I will say this, that I think we should all be in the hunt and doing our own work and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not church sponsored. I'm not, uh, I'm also not church fettered. I'm not, um, in a spot where I'm disallowed from, um, looking into this or that because it doesn't fit with my church traditions. So, because I don't have, uh, a church to, 
um, to look over my shoulder like that. And that, uh, while it'd be nice to have a fellowship, uh, it is certainly a blessing for a student to not uh, have those constrictions on restrictions on what I study and what I can ask and what I can uh, believe at the end of the day. So anyway, uh, the idea here with this Jack Hannon George question is looking at all the possibilities, looking at more than just one. Because so many people, like when I ask you the question about Genesis 1 and how can you have the sun after the plants, uh, how do they handle that cognitively? How do they manage this question? They say, uh, I have no response to that. Or like Windows. Windows is not responding. And then that's it. They're done. They're not going to go back and look into it any further and then the next time they hear Genesis 1 preached in church, they will not probably uh, bring up the question that stumped them. They simply let it go because it doesn't really matter to them. And so that's such a shame. I would wish that everybody would consider more and more possibilities when it comes to Bible interpretation, especially when something goes wrong, when somebody points out, that some that can't be right, or if that's right, then we have some other problems to explain. You got some explaining to do, as Ricky Ricardo would have said to Lucy. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, well, ask your grandparents. So I think I've said enough for today. I have no idea how long I've talked in this supposedly brief introduction, but I am happy to turn you over to this particular conversation, which I really like. And uh, I liked it so much, I thought, oh, I'll definitely link to this one. And I hope that you enjoy it and find it edifying. And so I'm going to send you over to bibleproject.com slash podcast. And then from there, you can look for the very recent title. It was just posted today. That is on June 21, 2021. And the title of it is called Genesis 1 through 2, Origins or Identity. And so that is the uh, interview with Tim Mackey and John Collins, who, whose guest is uh, Dr. John Walton. So that's the talk for today. I hope you will go listen to that. Thanks for joining in.